0: Grab a Bible, open it up to luke twenty four we 're going to get there in just a bit. Uh, speaking of the Bible, uh, the Barner Research Group published an article in two thousand and thirteen called "What do Americans really Think about the Bible?" A- at the time, they discovered that eighty eight percent of Americans own a Bible, and, and that's not entirely surprising, considering you know a lot of families probably have a dusty Bible sitting around somewhere and, and while well, it 's no surprise that that christians own Bibles. The article says that six out of ten Americans who have no faith or who identify as atheists own a Bible. At that time, the conclusions of the study found that even though there's this general respect for the Bible in our culture, people really aren't sure what to do with it. They don't know how it applies to them. They also said that there's a decrease in people who are are Bible-friendly and and Bible-neutral and an increase in people who are skeptical then, in 2019, they published an article on Bible engagement, and that article shows that the trend of people who are skeptical and never used a Bible rose 10% since 2013. Why is that? Why, why does it seem that respect for the Bible and Bible engagement is decreasing? Is it a general misunderstanding about the, the meaning of, of this book? Is it that people approach the Bible with preconceived notions or, or baggage? Maybe, maybe uh, people have seen others use the Bible as a weapon. For, for whatever reason, skepticism surrounding this book is increasing. Now, last week, we started this series called Waypoint. And, and Ian said that wherever you are, God doesn't want you there. We all have steps to take. We, we all have a next waypoint that God wants to guide us to. God wants to continue to transform your life and he wants to use the Bible to do it. Here at Broadway, we we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It's God's words to you. And and we're gonna spend the rest of the series talking about this amazing book. So if you're skeptical, that's okay. I'm so glad that you're with us. I'd like to invite you to, to spend the next few weeks just exploring this book with us. Last week, we told you about this other book, uh, called core fifty two this is a great resource and a, and a simple way to engage with the Bible over the course of of this year. Uh, we made a video specifically about this book, so I encourage you to to head to our YouTube page and check that out after this. Uh, in the intro of this book, author Mark Moore, he shares a lot of statistics about how engagement with the Bible has made people's lives better of of those in the study, it said sixty two percent experienced less drunkenness, 59% less pornography use, 59% less sexual sin, and 45% less gambling. And these results weren't from guilt uh, manipulation, but were rather the mark of personal transformation. The positive message of Scripture allowed individuals to reduce bitterness by 40%, destructive thoughts by 32%, isolation by 32%, inability to forgive by 31%, and loneliness by 30%. And he followed up those statistics by saying this. Bible engagement improves your self-esteem, family structure, and social interactions. It's the single most powerful predictor of spiritual growth. So if you want to know the Bible better, you'll be better for it. The Bible is also the fuel for all other spiritual disciplines. Do You want to be better and more consistent in your prayer life, read your Bible. Do you you want to understand more about worship and and how that can be part of your daily life? Read your Bible. Have you been feeling overwhelmed, uh, tired? Are you you bad at taking time to rest? That's me. Read your Bible. Do you want to be more generous with your time and, and resources? Read your Bible. You want to build deep relationships with others? Read your Bible. Your Bible will fuel those things and your life will be better. Now, I would would venture to say that if I asked any Christian why they believe what they believe, why their lives have been transformed, they they wouldn't say it's just because the Bible told me so. They would say it's because of Jesus. The love of Christ is, is what has grabbed our attention. We've experienced that love. So why do we talk about the Bible so much if that's true? Why is the Bible so powerful? Well, guess what? Your Bible is all about Jesus from cover to cover your Bible is all about Jesus the the first part of our Bible is the Old Testament and the Old Testament is anticipation it's a anticipation for a coming Messiah the one who would save the Gospels is manifestation uh, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us that's Christmas the Gospels are manifestation the book of Acts is next is next that's proclamation it's Jesus First followers proclaiming the good news of what Jesus has done. After that is the epistles, which is the explanation. Uh, what, are, what, what implications does a relationship with Jesus have on my life? What does a life following Jesus look like? And at the very end is, is the book of Revelation, uh, which is consummation or a completion of, of all the things that have come before it. Your Bible is all about Jesus. From eternity past to eternity future, it's Jesus. From from creation to revelation, it's Jesus. And we're gonna spend the next few moments looking at that through the lens of an encounter that Jesus has with, with two guys taking a walk. Uh, so now we get to Luke 24. We're gonna start in verse 13. It says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, now this is a few days after the crucifixion of Jesus, and so that's what they're talking about. These two guys, they're leaving the city of Jerusalem. Verse 15, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? In other words, where have you been, man? And he said to them, what things? I love that, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet. Now, notice they didn't say Messiah, they said prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified, And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He's saying, guys, haven't you read your Bible? Don't you know what it's about? And then in verse 27, it says, "In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus shows them throughout their Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, the things concerning himself. Jesus teaches a Bible study about Jesus. How'd you like to sit in on that, huh? Jesus understood that the entire Old Testament was about him. He also said this in John 5, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. In in this part of Scripture, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the day, and he's saying eternal life. Salvation is not found in the Scriptures, but it's the Scriptures that point to him. It's the Scriptures that point to the one who saves. They bear witness. It's about Jesus. Salvation is in Christ alone. Nathan Rose said this, every passage in the Old Testament either prepares for, predicts, parallels, promises, or points to the need for the person and work of Jesus. Yes, the Bible is a historical book, but it's also a supernatural one written by the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, from from Genesis to Malachi, uh, does that mean that Jesus is mentioned in every verse, in in every story? Uh, No. But saturated throughout these texts, we see the need for a Savior and only one way to salvation. The scriptures bear witness about the coming of Christ, a Messiah, one who would save? Let's get back to the two guys on a walk. Verse twenty five. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now there are over three hundred prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Over three hundred there's anticipation, um, and many of these are about how he would suffer. And yet, these two guys miss the point. They're sad. Uh, Jesus says, or it says in, in Luke that they stop. They're, they're sad. They're thinking this is all over. And they, they tell Jesus, they don't know it's him, they say uh, that a prophet uh, died, and that's it. Uh, there's, there's some talk that the tomb was empty, but they're not really sure about that. They don't really know what to do with that. I mean, no one else saw it. In fact, everyone we read about in the gospel accounts missed it, they were all clueless jesus Jesus even told them about it several times, and they didn't understand that it was necessary that all these prophecies be fulfilled and then in verse twenty seven and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, so that they, they were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it says it's about seven miles. they're walking and talking and and let's just say you know it's pretty casual probably took them a little over two hours. And in that time, Jesus probably gave them a pretty good overview, uh, but there's no way he could cover everything. I mean, it takes an average of, of 40 hours to read the entire Old Testament. Uh, well, I don't have 40, 40 hours. And I definitely don't have two, and you don't want to hear me talk for too much longer. So what we're going to do with the rest of our time is walk, or rather, we're going to sprint through the Bible, and we're going to look for Jesus. It's, it's like, where's Waldo? But it's going to be much easier. So starting with the Old Testament, remember, it's about anticipation. There's a waiting, a longing, an expectation of God's promises being fulfilled. Jesus began with Moses, so let's follow his lead. That's the first part of the Old Testament, which is called the the Pentateuch. It's written by Moses. We know that, that Jesus was there at the beginning. He was at creation. So everything's created. Adam and Eve are deceived by Satan, and sin enters the picture. Now there's a need for a Savior. And this very first prophecy about Jesus is from God. God tells Satan in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, this is about Jesus and there's pain involved. God says that, that the heel of the offspring, Jesus, will be attacked. But he's going to attack the head of the serpent This is called the Proto-Evangelion, or first gospel. Fast forward a bit to Genesis chapter 22. God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son. This is the son that that God promised him. And this is a test, and and Abraham shows incredible faith, uh, and God provides a different sacrifice. Genesis 22, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. God provides a ram as a substitution. This is a foreshadowing of what's to come. In Exodus, the entire nation of Israel is in slavery in Egypt. Moses is sent to to free them, but the Pharaoh of Egypt won't let them leave. God sends plagues on Egypt, but Pharaoh still won't let them go. So God tells the Israelites that, that each household is to take a lamb without blemish and, and kill it. And then he says to spread the, the blood of the lamb on the two doorposts of their houses and then share a meal. Now, this is the very first Passover meal, which is, is still observed to this very day. And in Exodus twelve thirteen, 13, uh, it says this, "...the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the the wrath and judgment of God on our sin, it passes over us. Then in Leviticus, the entire Jewish sacrificial system, all the rituals and sacrifices they made, is all laid out there. This was a foreshadowing of the sacrifice and suffering of Jesus. So that's the Pentateuch. And the the next section of Scripture is from Joshua to, to Esther, and it's called the historical books. Throughout the historical books, we see the rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall of the nation of Israel. We see the need for a savior. Anticipation is growing. And just like Joshua is the one who initially leads the Israelites into the promised land, Jesus is the one who will ultimately lead all of humanity to the promised land, the way to eternity in heaven. And isn't it ironic that they they share the same name? The Jewish name Yeshua is where we get Joshua and the Greek, uh, Jesus. It means rescue. It's the same name. So the five books of the Pentateuch, then the historical books, uh, then we come to the wisdom books. And this is from Job to Song of Songs. We can, again, see Jesus throughout this body of Scripture. And one example that I love is in Psalm 22. In Psalm 22 is what's called a messianic psalm. So this one is a foreshadowing of Jesus, the Messiah. And while this psalm was certainly true of, of King David who wrote it uh, and his experiences, it's even more true of Jesus. We can be fairly certain that Jesus was thinking about Psalm 22 during his, his hour of suffering on the cross and that uh, he saw it as a fulfillment of the psalm. In fact, all seven, all seven things that Jesus says from the cross are either direct quotes or are parallels to Psalm 22. It begins with this in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out and quotes this directly in Matthew 27. Now, we're not going to go through all seven things today, man. I wish we could. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. But the theme of suffering is all over Psalm 22. Remember what Jesus told the two guys on the road, that it was necessary that he should suffer these things and enter into his glory. We also see that theme a lot in the next section of Scripture, which is called the prophets, from Isaiah to Malachi. We just spent an entire series in in Daniel, which is is part of this section. If you missed that series, I highly recommend uh, checking it out uh, on our podcast, on our website, uh, to listen to it or watch it. Uh, It's called At the Corner of Broadway and and Babylon. It's a great series that, that Ian did this past fall. There's so much good stuff in the prophets. But again, here's just a quick snapshot. Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus goes through all of this with these two guys as they walk. But for us, that's not where it ends. We have a collection of documents that we call the, the New Testament, and it just so happens that it's about Jesus too. So the first part of the New Testament is the Gospels, and the Gospels are manifestation. Jesus, the Word, becoming flesh, dwelling among us. It's four eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this part of Scripture is more obvious. It's about Jesus. Then, uh, after that, we get to the book of Acts, and where we see the action of of Jesus' first followers. Acts' proclamation throughout throughout the whole thing is people talking about Jesus, proclaiming things about Jesus, people putting their trust in Jesus. And Peter uh, preaches the first sermon ever preached. And he says this in Acts 2. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. After Acts come the New Testament letters or epistles. The epistles are the explanation, and they offer a lot of guidance about how to live. However, they're really not about how to live a moral life, but but about a relationship with Jesus and about the implications that that has on your life. It asks the question, what does a life transformed by Jesus look like? That's what we find there. Now, the apostle Paul he wrote a lot of these letters and he said this in one of them 1 Corinthians 2 And I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified Paul's a guy he wrote a lot of of what we'd call virtue lists he wrote a lot of of do's and don'ts he helped clear up a uh, a lot of these early church issues uh in these letters but to him To him, it wasn't about that. It was about Jesus. How does walking with Jesus affect who you are? And then at the very end of our Bibles, the very last book, we get to the book of Revelation. And Revelation is the consummation. It's the completion of everything before it. Revelation is is one of those books that some kind of put in the mysterious bin, the, the I'm not really sure what to do with this bin. And then others i become too obsessed with all the imagery and the numbers and the symbolism. But really, Revelation is is not about beasts. It's not about the Antichrist and the nations of the world. It's about the supremacy of Christ and his return. Surprise, it's about Jesus. It actually says that in the very first verse, Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Revelation is the hope that Jesus will someday return. So what's contained in your Bible, eternity past to eternity future, is all about Jesus. Jesus is there at the center of all of it. It's about him. What do we do with that? What do we do? I want to give you just one very practical application today. Here it is. You ready? Pick it up and read it sounds simple, right? Pick it up and read it. The foundation of our faith is Christ crucified and raised again. The foundation of our faith is that it was necessary for Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory. All of the things you learn in this book, every time you pick it up, look at it through that lens. Your Bible is all about Jesus. Mike Reeves said this, read the Bible as if it's all about you and it will be dark and confusing. Read the Bible knowing it's about Jesus and it's light and cheering and wonderful. So read your Bible. Engage with your Bible. We have unprecedented access to the Bible. There are free apps, websites. You can easily buy a paper copy. Uh, You can let us know. You can uh, call the office, send us an email. Let us know that you need a Bible. We'll give you a Bible. Uh, Are you a little intimidated? on on where to start, you're you're not sure, you know, where to begin in this book, that's okay. Or maybe you just want to see it in a fresh way. I I want to recommend again to check out the Core fifty two book that we talked uh we talked about earlier. All of our small groups talk about the Bible. Uh some are going to focus on this book, Core fifty two, and Dylan is going to be starting a Core fifty two class very soon as well. Wherever you are, God doesn't want you there. Ask him to show you the next steps you need to take to be closer to him. Ask him to show you where the next waypoint is. Let the Bible do what it is meant to do, to bear witness about Jesus and let Jesus speak into your life. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is referring to those we read about throughout scripture. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the founder, he's the perfecter of your faith. He's there at the beginning, he's there at the end, and and he is here with you now. You see, Jesus is not just the centerpiece of the Bible, but, but Jesus is the centerpiece of life. It was necessary that he should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for revealing to us the mysteries about Christ. God, for giving us something so incredible as, as the Bible, for, for speaking to us, um, God, throughout the ages, through this book, by your Spirit. God, help us to understand more and more about it, but, but ultimately, God, help us to understand and be closer and closer to Jesus through reading this book. And God, would you continue to transform our lives and show us the steps that we need to take. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.